Today on the show, we're talking about money mistakes made in your 20s. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today we are doing a round table. I'm joined with Jace. Cheers. Mike. How's it going? And Trevor. Hello. And we're back for another round table. We just did one recently for episode 100. So four episodes later, we are doing another one. And today we're kind of doing a unique topic and one that we can kind of all add to, especially Trevor, who has been in his 20s and, and now has progressed through the other decades. We're doing money mistakes made in our 20s and then how these domino effect into the later years of our lives. So we're going to lead off this episode talking about first, before we even get to money mistakes we make in our 20s, we're going to talk about biggest money mistakes by the decade. And this article is by Charlie Wells, and it's from the Australian.com business news section. Again, relates to Canadian personal finance in the same way. So, so I kind of want to start this off by talking about this point within the introduction of this article. And it talks about how due to just the economic and demographic changes that occur on a yearly basis that the mistakes previous generations make i mean we always say trevor you always say try to learn try you can't make, afford to make all the mistakes yourself but when when the conditions change so frequently we can't it's it, it, this article and i'm and tell me if i'm wrong we can't really go off the mistakes that our previous generations made well and i've always said this so you can't you can't follow the generation before you that is so risky because the environment changes. So if, if you try to mimic the generation before you, it's going to be a disaster. And I'll give you an example. So my, my parents, they had great paying jobs. Um, and back then, you didn't need a ton of education. You could get a great paying job in a factory. In fact, I remember if people go back and remember Sears or Eaton's department stores, people could work there, single family income, and support a family. You know, that was a thing. Retail. Could you imagine? So... If you tried to follow that path, you would just go into financial ruins, right? If you if you tried to work at Walmart and support a family, it'd be really hard. It's a single income, so that's an example where you can't follow the family, the, the the generation before you. The other thing we had is that generation, the baby boomers, they had these great pension plans, and so they didn't really have to think about saving for retirement. Well, if you tried to search for this great pension plan type of job, you, you may be switching jobs every six months because you you have yet to land that pension so in relation to that do you think we fall into trouble i mean i i I, tell me if i'm wrong jace mike but i think it's kind of in sometimes if if we admire the financial path our parents take sometimes i feel like it's instinctual to want to follow in their footsteps and maybe engage with some of the same behaviors and actions that they did that led them to where maybe the success they got to I think uh, a, a good point, though, to keep in mind is it's not just following what our parents have done, but it's also learning from their mistakes as well that could really direct us in the, the proper route that we want. Because, yeah, they probably did a lot of things that were right and good, um, but they also probably did a lot of things that were wrong that we can learn from, too. No, that's that's very important. And I was saying this to Mike earlier that some of the best advice I ever got was somebody telling me, don't do what I did. You know, that's solid advice. They made that mistake. Don't you make it as well? People falling from the sky saying, you know, do what I did. This is, it worked out for me, but you don't know the circumstances. But don't, learning from people's mistakes or not following the mistakes of the generation before you, that those, those mistakes tend to repeat themselves over 
millennia. You know, the, the same mistake keeps, keeps getting made over and over. So I agree with that 100%. So before we actually launch into talking about the money mistakes by decade that Charlie Wells discusses in this article, the opening line or the opening few lines in this article, it talks about, so I'll just quote here, every new stage of each life brings new financial stages we need to follow. And at every stage, we find new ways not to follow these strategies, costing ourselves money and jeopardizing our security. So my question from this this whole kind of little paragraph here is do we need to follow a predefined set of strategies for our generation and for that that certain kind of age demographic? Well, here's the the risk is if everyone wants a proven recipe for success with their finances. They, they, they don't want to make the mistakes and have to recover from them. So everyone is searching for a, a predefined solution that they can use that worked for somebody else. It's called playing it safe. And I think that's where a lot of young people fall down. So you bring up playing it safe. Let's, and that's actually the first the first kind of downfall, I want to say, a mistake made by our first uh, gener- decade. And that's in the 20s. The, the biggest mistake that Charlie Wells cited in this article is that we play it too safe. So let's throw it out to you guys. You're in your 20s. I think without a doubt, I played it too safe. I didn't take job risks. I didn't take investment risks. I I didn't test the waters on enough things in life when I was in my 20s, when I had lots of time to recover if it turned out to be a bad decision. I'd like to say, though, that there are a few, like, mistakes that you can make that you definitely cannot recover from, even if they are in your 20s. Like school, for example, if you go and you do the wrong kind of course and you end up having to redo school completely or you get into a job you don't like, that is something that is really detrimental to the next decade. But you bring up a good point. So just say you went to school for something you didn't like. And so here's a better example. So you you get job experience in a particular field. Say it's in retail. That's where you've, you've always worked. That's where your job experience is. And that's where you're going to get your best paying opportunities because that's where you, you have all your experience. So if you had a family and you're in your 40s and you decide, I don't like retail anymore. I want to go into work in a factory. You're going to show up bottom of the seniority list in a union, the most vulnerable to get laid off. Is that a move you can afford to make when you got to have a bunch of dependents? You know, you, you can't, if you think you can't make career changes in your 20s, you'll never make them in your 30s and 40s when you have people depending on you for your income. And I'm, to follow Jace's point there, I mean, and, and from your experience, Trevor, would you say that no experience or no decision is ever a bad experience or bad decision? Doesn't Isn't everything a learning opportunity? And maybe I don't, I don't want to sound too philosophical, but everything does happen for a reason, maybe leads you down a certain path. I'm going to bring Mike in here because he's, he's fabulous for this audio production. He's, <laughs> I don't think I've said a word since this thing started. So here's an example. So I know Mike, he's, 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 work, he's working in engineering. He's, he's an engineer. And he, all his, while he was in school, he was getting a lot of experience in the transportation part of engineering. So when he was applying for jobs, clearly he would have been the most qualified in the transportation part of engineering. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So if you correct. put in a resume to a place, and it was transportation is roads, right? Roads. Just for yeah. Roads, civil works, drainage. Yeah. Yeah. So 
but you didn't want to work in that line of work. But it would have been easiest to get a job in that line of work. Yeah, that, when you graduate, because yeah, because that's what your your experience shows, and that's what you 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 can market yourself as. So if you were going to play it safe, you would have continued down that path. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be the way. And I, I know people who've done that. Like, um, uh, I have friends that you know, like they they had like part time jobs working like say retail or working in the food industry, and uh, they they don't want to get out of that because they just keep marketing themselves with that that skill set and stuff and. Uh, and I guess this is kind of going off topic here. Like, I think you, you can market yourself from, well, what, what are those soft skills? You know, like you, those apply from one place to another. So, but yeah, so it's the, the thing of, uh, I guess going back to this is, is people will always look at it as, is one dimensional of, of there's only one outcome and, and like they want to play it safe because they only said one outcome. Well, you know, there are a few other paths you can take and stuff. And so, so chances are it's, it's, you don't need to play it as safe. So you took a risk saying, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do transportation anymore. I want to do structural. Yeah. yeah. A- and you may or may not have got a job. You may have got really bad o- job opportunities because you had no experience in that. So th- that's an example where you, I think it, does that, that's what I call taking a risk. I don't know if that qualifies, but I just want to say one more thing. Actually, I'll, I'll add to that. I'll add to that is I look at it and like I'm talking about thinking what you're thinking and I look at it and I'm like, that wasn't that big of a risk. Like in my mind, I'm like, what was, what was there for me to lose in that? And really there wasn't much for me. Like I didn't lose much in that, that, that but you, possibility. You might- but, but to your point, if, if say you're 30 and you're, you have a family, there's a lot of risk there. There's a lot to lose. And so I, I agree with you in your 20s, you, you're going to lose a lot less there. Like, and that's, uh, that's a good point. But to your both, you both have highlighted, I mean, Mike, you have highlighted the idea of hindsight. Trevor, you have highlighted the idea of perspective. So you are now, your, your 20s were, were a few decades ago. And is and and now you're kind of you you've en- encountered bigger opportunities and bigger challenges. But when you were in the thick of it, when you were in your twenties, when it is the biggest maybe decision you've made to date, and and maybe a big risk because you still you, it's all perspective, right? It's 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 how big of a. But you know you know what the problem is. I, I know where you're going with this. Is everybody wants to draw this straight line of life? I I. I start here, and you want to do the, the the most efficient straight line to get, not to get to the end, but you know, hooks and curves and, and and things. They look like obstacles in your life, but they're actually pathways. And Jace made a point. You go to school for something. So I went to school for materials management. That's what I studied. And my first job in the job interview, the guy interviewing me said, "Would you be interested in pursuing accounting?" I thought it was an odd question because I wasn't applying for an accounting job. But I thought the right answer to get the job was yes. So I said yes. And now, lo and behold, I'm a CPA. I, I had no plans of going into accounting whatsoever. But had I not taken that job, I would have never. And I'm so glad I did. But I would have not got there. So, if I, so two things in your 20s for me is not taking enough risks. And I'm talking about calculated risks. And trying to make life a straight line. That is probably my biggest downfall and getting stressed out when it's not a straight yeah. line. Well, you, you know what? I think the straight line is, is like you're going from point A to point B. You can see it very obviously. And that's in everyone's mind because it's the most obvious decision. It's the most safe decision. And then those things like you going off to do accounting, something you didn't know about. I think like those are those little side 
side pass, you know, like, like you said, you zigzag along and that's, that's the risky option, which doesn't seem as obvious. In fact, if you are living a straight line, you're probably missing opportunities galore. You're probably missing opportunities and experiences that, that you're going to regret. So, so now, cause again, go back to courts thing is, as we're looking at this in hindsight. So, so when you're going along, you know, sometimes it's not that obvious, like the, the, the straight path seems quite obvious. It seems it's right there in front of you. So how, how do you pick out these, these other paths? And, and well, I think it would come down to probably just being like more open to different yes. opportunities. And I yes. think that's where Trevor's open. going with it is having that, that open-mindedness to anything that might come your way um, instead of just being like, no, like this is the way I'm going and I will never do anything else. Having that open-mindedness can really define your life. And like you always say, Trevor, not being married to an outcome. And be- yeah, that's it. Not being married to an outcome. And if you, if everything seems to go to that married outcome, if, if you keep just checking the box year after year, yep, yep, yep. Chances are you've missing stuff, right? You, you have to let life lead you down a, a winding road. I think I, I like uh, what you say that you got to let life lead you places like you, you got, you got to, cause like, I think you talked about the opportunity accounting is, is just someone presented to you is you got to, you got to just kind of live life and let these opportunities present yourself sometimes. But back to my thing, if you're playing it safe, are you really going to take those winding roads? But I think the, the real problem is that like right now, like as, as a, a 20 year old uh, who's growing up in this kind of society, they're so pressured to play it safe. Like in general, school is like, where are you going to be in 10 years? That's like, that is the question. question. Yeah, me too. I hate that question. But they're constantly saying that. It's like, okay, like, where are you going to be? What are you going to do? Make sure you know it now so you don't mess up your life. But the, the real thing is it, it causes so much anxiety and stress on students and people in their 20s because they have all that pressure looming over their head of like, where am I going to be for the next but I think years? I think uh, society's evolving with that because I think before it used to be like, you, you know, grade 12, you're graduating high school, you pick either you go to college and become like a, say a trades worker or whatever. And, or you go to university and you know, you work in the office. Whereas I think now it's, it's evolving where you see it where universities are mixed with um, uh, colleges and vice versa. And, and you can kind of culminate the two. So like, say you go off to, to university and you do some degree about some random thing. And then maybe you say, okay, you know what? I need a bit more specialized skill. You go to college, you get some specialized skills or vice versa. Like you go get some specialized skills and say, you know what? Be nice to add that extra layer of uh, knowledge to it. And you go to get a university degree. And I I think that's what's becoming nice is that like, uh, I I think the, the system's helping promote uh, 20 year olds and young people to, to be Change a little bit more risky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you see that where people extend their careers, university careers or college careers to help move that around. Here's the biggest mistake parents could make if they got if they have kids in the, going to their first year of post-secondary education. So let's just say you have a, a university student in their first year of commerce and they decide they hate numbers. Let's just say that's where they start. Some parents would say, no, you have to finish where you start. You can't change your, your, your program. So, cause, and the reason they're going to say that maybe is because it's a waste of money, right? But what, what's a bigger waste of money is getting to the end of the four years and still not liking numbers. Now you've really wasted even more money. So I think you have to be somewhat flexible and maybe look at that first year as a sunk cost because I think your eyes get open to a lot of things in that first year of school. And again, you see opportunities that you didn't see when you're in high school. Take some chances, take some risks. And just to the 10-year thing, so where do you want to be in 10 years? We all hate that question, right? Another way to look at it is- Where do I want to be in two years? I hate that question. (laughs) 
<laughs> when you look out the window of life in 10 years, what do you hope to see? Wait, you're asking this question, the question we hate? That's, no, it's a different question. What do you hope to see? What do I hope to see in 10 years? Do you hope to see... Well, it depends on how you're looking at it. Like, if you're looking at it from, like, a material or a job perspective, is very different than if you're just looking at it, like, where do you want to see yourself being happy? That, that's the question right there. Where do you want to see yourself being happy? When you look at that window, what do you... What life do you hope to see unfolding out there? Don't look at it in these narrow glasses where you're saying, uh, my job, 10 years. You know, my social life, 10 years. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So, so what's, what's the difference here? Like I, I, what, what was the first question versus this question? What's the difference? It's kind of like visualizing, visualizing your, your sort of your, your end goal. It's visualizing your okay, end so, goal. So we'll go, go back to the first question. The one, the one we all hate. Like, so here, here's a visualization I made. So I, I had this visualization of having a family in a small town. And I've told this story a million times on the podcast. I made that happen. It didn't happen to me. I designed that life because it's the life I wanted. If my wife would ever come on the podcast, and I don't think she ever will, but if she did, she would tell you I had this dream, this vision in my 20s. A, a small town, family, real simple life. That's, that's what I coveted. And so it's nothing specific. I didn't know what I'd be doing for an occupation. I didn't know what car I'd be driving, what house I'd be living in. It was just a landscape. Yeah. And so you can take that and you can apply it to like almost any different situation. Like for me, if I'm looking through that window, I think it'd be living out in like the middle of nowhere with a nice little quaint house, nothing too fancy with the person I love. And, and that's it. That's all it would take for me to be happy. That's a motivation I can get behind. That's powerful. That's something. So then you can start to design or, or change aspects of your current life to move in that direction. Clearly, if you want to live out in the middle of nowhere, you're probably not a an investment banker. No. <laughs> right? So, you know, not a great choice. So you're going to sort of, and you, you probably enjoy uh, solitude at some level, right? Yeah. You're probably extent, not definitely. somebody who needs to be in raging social circles. So those are the kind of things. That, so if you're going to, and we're getting away from money here, but if you're going to ask yourself the question, that's what I'd be asking is when I look at the window, what landscape do I want to see? So, okay. So even with that original question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Bad question. Because <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think it's very similar to what do you envision your life being like in 10 years? I think it's very similar, but I think the thing, like, I think the wording it makes it so that people want to get too specific. Yeah. So I think what you're trying to get at here is start very broad. Like yeah. don't, don't get into, well, I want to be doing this, like working at this in job this in this city. Like just, like I think people answer that question too, too, too specific. You need to be very broad, very big strokes of your your future, and 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 then that will make it so that it can be a successful future. Like you can slowly start dialing in all the details as life unfolds. Yeah, the more specific expectations get, the more you're gonna feel almost disappointed if you're not yeah. meeting that. You become yeah. like Courtney said, you become married to various outcomes. So taking us back to the article, there's another the other half of this. There's taking risks when it comes to employment, but there's also risks in terms of investing. And I know we're not we're not investing in podcasts by any means, but that definitely is when you're looking forward to your financial independence and towards your financial future, the investment piece is definitely really important. So this article talks about how and, and it's, it talks a little bit in this in, in the next article we're going to refer to as well, but it's saying how 
Young individuals in their 20s are taking a very conservative route when it comes to investing and almost and, and there was actually a survey cited here that when given the choice, when, when, when asked what they wanted to put their, their money into, they would prefer a very uh, low vol- volatile but low return investment um, an investment tool that would actually in actuality be more preferable for someone nearing retirement. So kind of not hoping to uh, accumulate accumulate much in their investment. So here's the here I this I fell into this trap in my twenties and here's the mindset you end up adopting. So I have only a little bit of money invested. I don't want to lose it, right? It's it's just a little bit of money, and and if I put it in a really high risk, high reward thing, and the markets tank, my money's gone. But the the thing in your twenties, you can't lose it. Is is you have a, a whole lot of years to recover from that. What what happens is, to me is is I got to my thirties and I was in these interest bearing guaranteed investments and i got to my 30s and I said, this is barely growing well you know what am i doing wrong and so it wasn't in my 30s that i said i have to start taking more risks and the money was just building ever so slowly like i was never going to get there and then when i changed that mindset it, it just started stacking up so that's it's it, just knowing you have a lot of years to recover from bad markets bad returns well also i, I think because um in your 20s if, if you're putting your money in there it's not like um, some quick, like you know what people used to do when the, the markets were really, when the markets were really hot, they would, um, uh, they'd put money in and like or like flipping houses, say, say like the, you know with mortgages, you know, like, or back in the day when interest rates were really good and stuff, people would buy houses and flip them and make money off of it. And I think um, in your twenties or whatever, like you're you're not hoping to see see any um, uh, benefit from that money until you're about to retire. O- over the long run, it's c- gonna go up, and it's just a matter of. Peaks and yeah, like you said, if, if you get risky with it and you throw it in there over the long run, it's going to be good. So then why not do a riskier one where the, the gain long term is going to be well, greater? I, I think, though, it really comes down to most people in their 20s don't have a bunch of money kicking around. They're worried about school. They're worried about paying their rent. They're worried about their bills. They're not really worried about investing that money because they want instant gratification and they're not thinking about long term gratification. So they don't have that concern where they're like, okay, I'm preparing for retirement. Like most 20 year olds I know, they're thinking about the next party they're going to or the next, you know, event that they're attending. They're not really thinking that long term. And I, I was in that trap too. But I mean, if you want to have early financial independence early in life, you've got to, you have to do things nobody else is doing to get things nobody else has. So you, you're going to have to make some concessions or, or, or something to get there. You, most people wake up to it in their 30s and they realize, I need to do something. If you can realize this in your mid-20s, all the better. I think the other thing um, here is like, we're, we're not talking about putting a lot of, I guess the quantity of money you're investing is one thing, but we're talking about the money that you invested in being more risky. So the specific quantities doesn't matter. So if a person's not making a huge income, that's fine. Or you don't have a lot of extra money, that's fine. But then what the money you do have that you are investing, you invest into riskier things. Yes, yeah. So the, the quantity is, is irrelevant. It's just the fact that you're taking financial risk in your investments is, is the only way you're going to get a decent return. So this article suggests that the current generation of 20-year-olds are more likely to play it safe than previous um, groups of 20 year olds and so previous generations and there's there's kind of a theory that this maybe this is stemming from 
um, more recent uh, financial uncertainty um, from even things like 9-11 to, to other financial crises. But Trevor, you're saying that you experienced some of these same kind of phenomenons when you were in your 20s. So do you think do you think our generation, are the 20-year-olds now, are feeling it even more so than you did? Or do you think it's all just relative? Well, so when I was in my 20s, the internet didn't exist. So we were going off of sort of old information. I'm going to say, we in my 20s, I was less informed than people are in their 20s today. So as it goes with financial investments, anything like that, I'm less, I was less in the know. It was harder to get information and make decisions about how, what to invest your money in in my 20s than it is today i i think but go back to your you, like you said at the beginning of the podcast you know you can't follow the mistakes uh, or not the mistakes but you can't follow what your passionate interest did and so you said that your your parents they um they didn't invest they didn't need to invest they, they didn't invest they had yeah, because they had pension plans so so say say your generation was uh, a middle one where pensions were becoming less common and then you know you have that case where now all of a sudden you can't just rely on a pension. And now our generation's even more that way where pensions aren't a thing really. We being going harder because all of a sudden, say a 20-year-old would get a job and have a pension right away. Don't even have to worry about retirement. Whereas now we actually have to put some effort in, but no one's teaching us. So I think that's the hard part right there. Well, nobody's making it important to someone who's 20. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it takes, it takes them the time to, like Jay said, mature and, and finally say, hey, I need to start thinking about my future and start saving here. So you're right. So the 20-year-old, probably as, as a species, we're not designed to think of long-term future in our mid-20s. Our brain just hasn't got there yet. The switch hasn't flipped. But... Society is saying you have to because the circumstances have changed. So it is kind of an unfair playing yeah, field. Before sure. your employer just took a percentage out and put it in your pension and said, you'll thank me later. Don't worry. <laughs> you start worrying about the future. Well, basically, any of the, the 20-year-olds who's probably listening to this podcast are the ones who have already had that little switch click. And they're like, I got to start focusing and I've got to start moving forward. The ones who aren't are the ones who will figure this out when they're 30. True. Yeah, that's a good point. So on that same note, and this leads into the 30s decade, and 30s is overwhelmed by complexity. And the very first kind of lead into this 30s decade piece is that more, Charlie Wells says that more so than in previous generations, this is where individuals start making quote unquote those adults, adult uh, moves such as having, getting married and having children kind of I don't want to say it may be pieces that signify generally speaking across society, the times when you really embark in kind of your adulthood journey or this kind of this monumental uh, movements, if if that's what an individual chooses to do. But, and again, I think Trevor, I mean, your generation, it sounded like maybe had, had kids in their late twenties, mid twenties as a kind of more societal norm at that point. And, and we, our generation of 20 year olds are waiting until they're 30. So maybe, maybe that kind of, like Jace was saying, that that kind of like party, enjoying yourself phase from uh, post-secondary is really just pushed all the way through the 20s until individuals are ready to uh, uh, maybe start kind of getting married and having children. I actually think the 40s, your 40s are probably more complicated. There's more complexity in your 40s than there is in your 30s because in your 30s, you're still working with hope <laughs> <laughs> because better things are yet to come, right? So you, you figure you're going to get promotions, you're going to get increases in pay, your children are going to turn into Stetford children and they'll do everything you say, 
and everything is just working out. So in your 30s, you still have hope on your side and it's a good thing and you still so you can still have optimism. But the time you hit your 40s, so I'm going to combine these two. I think if a lot of times people don't they kind of ignore the complexities because they just know they they tell themselves it's going to get better. Cuz they're still young, you're in your 30s. But you get to your 40s and that's when you start to put a little less faith in hope. <laughs> hope is starting to fade. And the complexities are still there, but maybe your children are teenagers. So now you have more complications, things that maybe if you didn't fulfill your parental obligations when they were younger, you have more challenges in front of you today. Well, I think one of the big things too is if, if people in their 30s are, are living the way that their parents led before, money went a lot farther. So they're, they're spending their resources on maybe bigger weddings and they're spending their resources on the best things for their, for their kids or they're buying, you know, the most expensive minivan or putting a little bit more money into a, a nice fancy home for their family. And then that's, I think, where it's going to hit and affect them in their 40s because now they won't have that money to invest. True. Yeah, you're, you're sort of, you've delayed actions that should have taken place, you know, a decade earlier. You've sort of put that off and now you've just added that layer of complexity. In fact, if you didn't think you couldn't afford it in your 20s, you're never going to afford it in your 30s. And if you couldn't afford it in your 30s, you got no chance of affording it in your 40s. I want to go back, though, to the, the 30s. And I think the complexity piece comes in when we talk about manufactured complexity. And I think this point really comes to uh, fr- fruition through this one line that Charlie Wells highlights here. And he thinks, and I know I've fallen victim to this, Mike, Jace, maybe you guys have as well, but, and maybe even, even you, Trevor, as well. But it, Charlie Wells says that people in their, their 30s want the same standard of living they remember their parents enjoying when they left home. So I think we manufacture this level of complexity through accumulation of, of things and trips and, and experiences too that, that cause this complexity, in, in which is debt. But and why why shouldn't you? You walk out of your parents' home that they spent twenty or thirty years accumulating the wealth to have. Why shouldn't you feel like you should walk into something similar on your own? Why would you? Why would your standards all of a sudden drop off the edge of a cliff? I, I think every generation has fallen victim to this. This isn't a new phenomena. So Trevor, you brought up the forties. And and the 40s, by Charlie Wells' definition here, is that the 40s are for misjudging big expenses. So, is is this something that you ha- you experienced? So here's the kind of things that would happen. So your your mortgage is coming up for a renewal. Your car is miled out. Your kids are picking their university they're going to go to, and you still haven't started saving for retirement. You know th- these are misjudging big expenses. These are these are the big life events. That, that are sort of starting to pile up behind you that you haven't, you haven't planned for. And, and I think this is where it's not misjudging the expenses. I think they just tend to be more of them than you anticipated and they tend to arrive at almost the, the wrong time. So, so I want to I wanna ask you then, is, does everyone need to kind of plan for these expenses, or is this, or is anyone exempt from this? I mean, if, if you're very uh, financially well off, do you still have to plan for these? Is lifestyle inflation going to take over? Well, I think you know. I say this all the time. You're you're completely in charge of designing the life that you want. And I had a designed a life that kept get me that got me into a low cost real estate area, and I happened to land a well paying job in that low cost area. That wasn't lucky. I, I didn't luck out. So I think you can design a life 
where these big expenses don't hurt near as much? Well, I think the, the main thing would be to probably focus on keeping your life as simple and enjoyable as possible. So it's, it's going to be not overindulging in things constantly, whether it be a house, a car, um, et cetera, the newest iPhone, for example. You know, you don't want to whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I think you crossed the line there. Um, I do have a question for you, Trevor, though. I see in here in the article, and I'm sure most people in their 20s um, probably have the same question. Right here, it says um, he recommends that people in their 40s restructure mortgages so that are repaid earlier for the sake of their retirement income. I've never heard of restructuring a mortgage. What is that for all of us 20 to 30 year olds? <laughs> you generally have your mortgage in it. It, it. You sign up with a bank for a term. So quite common is a five year term. So you, you, you amortize your mortgage over, say, 30 years. Bad idea, but just say you did. And you... You, you have a five-year term, meaning you, you have a fixed interest rate with a bank for five years. And then at the end of the five years, you can choose to continue with that amortization or you can shrink it down or you can spread it out longer, assuming you have enough equity. So what a way of restructuring your mortgage is just say you had a, okay, we'll say a 25-year mortgage and you had it for five years. And then at the end of five years, you, you would have a 20-year amortization You'd have another five-year term with your mortgage. And then maybe at the end of there, so now you have 10 years left. Well, let's amortize it over five years instead of another 10. So now you're going to increase your payments, but you're going to be done sooner. So that is a way you can get your mortgage out of your life sooner. Now you're going to have to make some lifestyle adjustments to afford those higher payments. but Because it would essentially double your payments at that point. Assuming interest rates are the same. But that's a way you could get a mortgage out of your life before you have to start paying for post-secondary education for your children, for instance. Right. And then you could Pay start. me now, pay me later. You're going to have to pay the same bills, just you shorten the time. Down, yeah. But it requires lifestyle adjustments, like not owning a new car every year or something like that. So, But it can be done. So the final point within mistakes made in your 40s is the phenomenon of the sandwich generation. And that is something that is contributing to expenses that maybe we we didn't judge properly so to our listeners the sandwich generation is where you are where a parent is caring for both their parents and also their children i mean so their children can either be going off to post-secondary so there's that uh piece to fund and, and while supporting their their elderly parents as well so i agree this is the thing and i've witnessed it firsthand but my goal in life my whole goal in life is to not be a dependent on anybody ever that that is my going in. I will fulfill that plan. That that's not something I'm negotiating. So I'm going to make sure I will never be a burden on anybody. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to carry on a legacy to my family that that they they will not live a sandwich generation. So so you're saying this has all been factored into your financial independence plan and that that kind of equation. Well, you know when I, I say financial independence. It's not just for a while. Financial independence is until I die. So this this uh, philosophy that you've you've developed has it been something that you've been thinking about since you were twenty, or was it something that slowly came to realization in your forties? So when I became when I when I stopped being dependent on my parents, that that first time, I fe- I I don't know. You guys may have said I felt very exposed. I felt very vulnerable and I realized how much my parents provided me. You know, it was 
mind-blowing when I realized I'm responsible for all of this now. Yeah, life costs a lot. <laughs> yeah, life costs a lot. So it's that point that I thought how scary that was. So could you imagine inheriting a dependent that you weren't counting on when you least could afford it? I didn't want to be that dependent somebody's going to inherit when they're sending their kids off to university and now they have to care for their older father. That's when my eyes opened to that I am going to be independent through working or savings forever. It's a good philosophy, Trevor. So now I'm going to kind of uh, move to a different article to discuss uh, the 10 money mistakes most 20-somethings make. It's by Holly Johnson. And this is, we're kind of talking, we kind of talked about the first uh, up to your 40s. And, and I think it's important to kind of bring it all back to where the foundation begins, because if you build a strong base in your 20s, that definitely, I think, domino effects. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Into your... If, if you get your 20s right, the rest of the decades of your life, they tend to just fall into place. So I, I kind of, I want to ask an overarching question, question before we launch into this. I mean, Trevor, you, you sounded like you had kind of most things on track. We're going to start talk about some of the money mistakes in here and, and, and see if you have experienced them yourself. But Are you suggesting I've made <laughs> money mistakes? Trevor's perfect. Everyone knows that. <laughs> theoretically. Okay. Theoretically. Someone like me so, could have made these mistakes. There's sure. a statue in some city to be unnamed of Trevor. <laughs> So theoretically, if someone like you made these mistakes. You know what? You shouldn't be called Trevor anymore. You should be called Titan. <laughs> or Zeus. Zeus. I like Zeus. <laughs> Whatever one of the gods is the best of all those Greek gods. Can you? So we talk about the 20s being the foundation, but if you, is there a point beyond like past no return? Or can you always bring yourself, I mean, maybe you won't reach early financial independence, but where's that kind of, is there a secret cutoff point where if we have a listener who's X, X years old and they're like, oh no, I, I haven't been following. Like, is it, what, what, what's, what's the formula? So, so when I'm at work and I'm listening, I love this question. So when, I, when I'm at work <laughs> and I'm, somebody's telling me about a, you know, a, um, a, a child of theirs or a niece or a nephew, and they're telling a story of some that horrible thing they did, or just, you know, a mess they put themselves into. I'll, I'll say, wait a minute they're still in the middle of the story. How old is this person? And if they say 32, <laughs> I'll say they're done. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm saying 30. If you haven't got it on track, if, if you haven't figured it out, and if, if you are, I have this thing, if you haven't got it figured out by 30, then chances are it's not going to work out for you. That that is the number thirty. It's it's really not going to work out. And so everyone forty or over, just <laughs> shut it down right now. Just turn this podcast off. Well, no, but we're talking early retirement when you say no, that, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking. You're not. Life is not going to work out very well, right? Financially, <laughs> if you're thirty, if you're thirty-one, no, thirty-two. No, no. If no you, if you if you're not if you don't have some sort of hold on your life, if your life is out of control and you're if I'm hearing stories about, so I put 30 out as a number. I do believe a lot of switches of maturity flip in your head by 30. You know, you tend to want to start a family somewhere in that time. And so if you are still living the the 20 year old life in your 30s, it may be you're stuck there. So basically, what you're what you're saying, Trevor, is it's it's not impossible to fix, but it's just going to be a lot harder the more years you put it off, basically. No, do you know what? You know what? It's going to take a life-changing event to flip the switch. 
It's going to take some, unfortunately, probably some horrific event or some miraculous person is going to come into your life, like a life partner, and turn it around for you. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take something. It's not, clearly by 30, it hasn't happened on its own. Something's got to change dramatically if and you I want hope, to do okay. I hope you guys aren't 30 <laughs> yet. <laughs> so now let's lead into the 10 money mistakes that, that most 20-somethings make. And, and again, I just want to, I want to say that we are, this is the time period we're encouraged to make the most mistakes, but that doesn't mean we should be reckless and you, you can't make all of these. And, and I don't like your chances of, of you'll have dug a hole so deep that you'll, you'll have no zero motivation to get out. If Survival you is slim. We're, we're just crushing everyone's hopes here. <laughs> yeah, we just, this is the episode. Let's title it crushing everyone's hopes. So the first uh, first point here, starting out nice and heavy with not contributing to retirement right away. So Trevor, before we have our listeners kind of scrambling, being like, "Oh no, what? When in your twenties should you should, do you think?" And to to Jason, Mike too, like when when when's that reti- when's that contributing point? When should that start? I think you need to start. I, I'm going to throw in the number twenty five. You know, in and around twenty five, you need to start contributing to some sort of savings plan. Put it this way. In order to accomplish this, you need to design a life where you are spending less than you earn. And so I'm saying by your mid-20s, if you haven't designed a life where you spend less than you earn, you probably you probably aren't going to. I think that's a big red flag. If like, So I'm assuming most people in the early 20s are, are don't have any dependents. So if you have a job, I would really hope that at that point your your income is way more than what you're spent like you need. Because like if you start adding dependents onto that later into your twenties oh, and you have a it family, just gets you're screwed. And yeah. then and then you know that that even follows the worst path of well you start um, employing yourself based on the income you need to maintain your your lifestyle. Just say you are in a in a large metropolitan city like Toronto and you're making minimum wage. And you are just paying your bills every month. Let's just say that's a scenario. Now, if you haven't designed, come up with a way to increase your income by, say, your mid-20s, 25, 26, 27, right? And you're still just paying your bills. You're, you're spending every penny you make. Then that at that point, you need to get into, I'm going to design my life mode. And you need to move somewhere where it costs less to live because you're not, you haven't solved the minimum wage problem, right? By that time, I'm not saying it can't be solved, but you, you haven't figured out how to solve. I need more income. So now you need to solve. I need less expense. But isn't that what you should always be doing it? You should. I think, I think I that's think what you should a, always a be good, focusing on it. Less expense. Well, no, but if you're thinking a little bit, I forget what do you do in 10 years, but just a little more long term. If you see an increase in income potential on the horizon, then moving out of this city where that opportunity exists would kind of be counterproductive, right? But generally speaking, that's a very specific example. No, well, no, I think the problem of, you, of it you, too is is minimum wage has a tendency to increase, but then inflation just follows it. So you're never actually going to yeah. get ahead unless you make a drastic life choice, basically. Yeah, but but if you just say you don't solve the income equation, right? Then you at, at your mid to late 20s, if you haven't solved it by then then I say, I advise everyone to start focusing on your expenses. And your biggest expense is going to be your living accommodations. Move to somewhere where you can, your, the cost of living is less. Because you, you've already sort of decided, okay, minimum wages is my opportunity. 
So your chances are, I like your chances of getting that in a low cost region. So that that's how you saw that. But if so, to to start contributing to some sort of retirement savings, you need to solve the equation of I I spend less so than I earn. As Courtney always says, this is an investing podcast. But I have a quick question for Trevor specifically. So let's let's bring it back back in time when you were twenty. What did you do? to to put aside retirement like did you have a plan did you did you invest in a specific like uh like return like what would you advise for someone who is 20 or 25 or even 30 okay so i i started in my 20s i had a job that had a pension plan right so i i had that but i didn't start saving until i was in my 30. Ooh. So, I, I want. I so we're going to count. Tell a tale. Okay, he screwed. Yeah, yeah. I can see the sweat <laughs> yeah. on his no. on his brow. Not no, meant to no, be but so, no, but so we're saying. I'm going to say how many mistakes that I make in my 20s. You can't make them all, right? So there's 10 here. I did make the mistake on number one. I didn't start till I was my 30s. We're, we're going to be counting, okay? We're going to be counting so, the rest. So, yeah. I, I, so thank you for exposing me, Jace. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. Uh. So I didn't then, and I'm going to say now it's never, like with the internet, I'm going to say it's, it's never been easier. So when I was in my 20s, I think I didn't because it was harder to, to get information like that. In fact, you went to investment firms, you had to show up with like a suitcase full of money before they take you serious. So times have changed. So you can invest in very low amounts, but I failed on this one. I didn't start till my 30s. So I guess... The, the real question is then nowadays, what do you think offhand would be the best way to invest for retirement? So I'm going to say an index fund is, is the way to go for anybody who doesn't want to, to get their head into investments and understand them. At, at, so an index fund is basically an exchange traded fund that mimics one of the stock market indexes like the S&P 500 or the TSX. And so an investment firm will buy all the stocks in that index and, and then you'll you'll have a little piece of that. And that is basically you are the market. You're not trying to beat the market. You don't have to understand precious metals and, and, and any other things. You just, if you believe in the market, if you believe in our economy as a whole, then an index fund is something you will understand. It's in the news every day. So that is where I would highly and recommend. And if you don't, you put then money. you put it under your mattress, right? Well, see, putting it under your mattress is high risk because you're losing to inflation. So I think there's more risk in putting the money under your mattress than there I is mean, the in an index I mean, the inflation of the mattress being lumpy on one side is just, it's not good. <laughs> wow, it's also <laughs> uncomfortable. Well, that's a nice problem, though, because you probably have a lot of money under it. So an index fund isn't the only investment tool. I mean, also, we talk about a mortgage also being kind of an investment tool as well. And No, no. So I, I don't think a house is an investment, and it, it's a place to live, and it's it's a house. People think they accumulate a lot of wealth in a house. What a house does is it forces you to save money. You you're being you repaying your mortgage is forced savings that you're putting back in the house, and it's only becomes an investment if you want to say you're going to downsize. Then you can take some money out of your big three thousand square foot home and you downsize to a small bungalow. Then you can take some of that money then a portion of that house represents investment because it's, it's 
you can sell off and, and, and live off some of the cash that you got from selling that house. So I, I don't know that house, a house alone is not, as long as you're living in it, it's not an investment. I like what you said, the forced savings. That's the key is like whether your employer is taking some money out and putting into to some kind of a RSP or a pension or you're taking money out of your paycheck uh, and putting into savings, I think that's the important thing. And that is, well, is I, the I think like the, the biggest thing is, is being completely behind buying homes. Like if you, if you buy a home versus renting a home, you're never seeing that money that the rent is going to your landlord every month and you're never seeing that money again. Whereas if you buy a home, eventually you will get that return, right? But there's, there's more, everyone looks at their, what did I pay in rent and what is my mortgage payment? And, and they say, well, I, I might as well be buying a house. It's the same as rent. But there's so many more costs to owning a home that, and they are lumpy costs, not rent is this steady flow. And if you, if you own a home, you've got property taxes, you've got maintenance and, and repairs that you, sometimes you don't even see coming. And I think if you took the difference between renting and the, all those additional costs of owning, and you took those additional costs and you put it into an index fund, I think you would do just as well. Actually, there's a book I've mentioned on this podcast countless, countless times called The Wealthy Renter. And it's, it's specifically written it's by Alex Avery. It's a Canadian author, so it's very Canadian-based. Read that book. If, you, if you're renting right now and you feel bad about renting, read that book. It will change how you look at renting and that book is in our book list too on our website. We have an ongoing book list we add to at livelifesimple.ca. So you'll find that there. Let's move on to point number two though. And point number two is pursuing higher education without a plan. Mike, so how, Mike, how do you feel? How do you feel about this point? I mean, you're, you're a civil engineer now, but did you, did you follow through with this? So I, I think um, pursuing an education uh, without a plan I think it's uh it's you you gotta have an idea a vision. I think it goes back to what we were saying, where you gotta like when the question of where do you see yourself in ten years or whatever. I hate that question. The the, the where, where, what was the other question? It's so similar. It's like what's your focus in ten years or whatever. So whatever that is, okay. So you gotta. I think the thing, the goal is you gotta have a sense where you want to go, but you can't know exactly where what you're gonna do because if you follow the straight line. You're probably gonna end up with something you don't like, but at the same time, you gotta have a sense of where you're going because that if, if you're just doing something just just to be safe, like we said with twenty year olds, it's probably not gonna work out either. So here's where a lot of times it falls down: is people will graduate with a BA, which in most cases it, it qualifies you for nothing, right? You're not qualified for any specific. I mean, that job. happened to me. So so then what people tend to think is, well. The solution is let's throw some money at it, the problem, meaning I have four years of education and no job. So let's just throw some more money at it and get some more education on top of that. And to me, that's education without a plan. It is, it's the people who get the BA and all of a sudden realize, I can't find a job. You know, that is education without a plan. So you just spent four years of astronomical money in, in, in a hope and a dream that some, something might transpire well i think at, at the end of every day uh everybody probably just wants to be one financially stable and two happy with what they do personally like i i think being happy with the job that you work at even if it's not the best paying job but still being able to put money away for investing or towards a house or a mortgage or to support your family as long as it's a job that you can support your family on and you don't need to like constantly 
get that that high higher paying job that may be not enjoyable for your life i think that's like the end goal and maybe having a like just a ba is enough for for school and you don't have to reinvest that money so the problem is schools give you this mindset you tell me if i'm wrong you've just finished your four-year degree program okay world i'm ready come and get me oh yeah like i i I know i mean i'm I'm sure a lot of other post-secondary students are, are, are saying yes to this as well but that happened to me i was like i have a business degree come and get me but this is to jace's point so if the universities didn't set you up with that mindset i agree with you but the problem is these people have been pumped up so much that, you know, I've been to enough of these commencement speeches that they are just setting these people up. Well, I think the thing is they expect to come out of university or college and instantly get that really high paying job. But the likeliness of that is very, very low, especially if you live in a big city and you're looking for that job. Because usually there's a lot more people that are a lot more qualified than you in the city and you'll not be able to get that job. But if you're willing to at first even just settle and get something that maybe you like a little bit more that's not directly related to your field but that will still be able to pay the bills i think that's kind of the first step and i agree with you so i've been interviewed i've interviewed a lot of people over the years where where i work we've hired people and i'm asked to sit in on interviews and look at resumes and i'm yet to ask somebody so what did you find challenging about your third year math course you know what was the hardest part right i want to know about your job experience i want to know that you can show up every day and and follow instructions and and get things done so the whole thing with this pursuing higher education with a plan more i think some education is good but just a more education a lot of times doesn't solve the problem it's it's going out in what jason says get that job experience show people that you can come to work every day and perform wait wait, wait, okay So what you're saying to me, what I'm hearing here is you're basically telling me is go get an education without a plan. Just like don't have any, just get, just get an education and get any kind of job. And then that will lead to better things. That, that, that's what I'm hearing. No. So I think getting, so getting a BA, I think it raises your level of intellect. I think it, it, there's a lot of soft skills you get from a BA that you can deliver on, on the job and set you apart from other people to get opportunities like Jace is describing that will move you up the ladder. So I'd like to, I'd like to disagree with that though, because you didn't, you didn't need that plan, right? Like it didn't matter. You just said, get a BA. So there's no plan in getting that BA. Is there, I I don't think there is. I think obviously you're going to want to be a little bit more specific with the kind of BA that you're going into. Obviously it's going to be something that in general, you may like a little bit more than something else. But I, I, I think, I no, I know, no, I know what you're saying. If you got a BA in something that's at the time you found interesting, say you got a BA in journalism, which would be a really bad choice right now, but just say you did, because you're interested in journalism, and you got the BA, it raised your intellect, it it put you at a, a different sophistication level, it gave you soft skills that you can take to a workplace, and and just say you went into and you became a law clerk. You know, with those with those soft skills. But I gotta think. You gotta think about what you want to do in with ten that years. Education. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Like you, you gotta think about. Okay, what kind of industry, do I want to be working? Uh, you know, for like a newspaper, like maybe not a specific newspaper company, but do I want to be working in journalism 
in in my future do i want to be you know chasing the next good story like you know what i think that's a question you got to ask yourself when you're picking your education Uh, like i like so like the undergrad degrees are very can be very general i mean civil engineering is a little very specific there mike that you have but in, in general i mean i i was one of the individuals who could not find a job with my undergrad and therefore i just completed my uh, college my college diploma and and am employed as as soon it went as soon as i had that uh, pursuing a college uh college education on my resume along with my more specialized hard skills that's when it became employable and uh, you know what i graduated um i was even in my fourth year of university i had no idea what i was gonna do i had general direction of business but then the college degree when i kind of was a little bit older had therefore then decided my more specific path okay so here here's here's the the horrible story i hear quite often is I got a BA in medieval history and I applied for teacher's college and didn't get in. So that was my plan. I had a plan and I didn't get in. So I'm saying even if you have a plan, it might not work out. But you throwing more money at it is not a new plan. I'm saying if you didn't get in, Take your soft skills, go to the job market, see what you can get. Well, I think especially in in these days, um, just going and doing a BA for the sake of having a BA, it like I know so many people who have a BA and they're working retail jobs and they haven't got anywhere close to what they want. I, I don't think BA is always the answer. You don't have to have a BA to have a high level of intellect. You you can always go and, and learn a trade skill like college is a little bit more acceptable now i'm finding with with a lot of things it's a little bit more applied because people know that when you go to college you're learning a physical skill you're learning something that can be a little bit more of value it's not just theoretical so i I think college is is a good place to focus on and college you don't even have to do much of it to go too far it's just one year courses here or there that you can pick up easily get a job in something and then show that that job there is where you're learning those soft skills. I agree with you. You're speaking from the mind of somebody who has, hold on, who, who's reached a level of maturity and not, not through the, not through a post-secondary education. Yeah. So when I'm interviewing somebody for a job, I can spot the people who have yet to pay their own bills. <laughs> I can spot them from the minute they start talking. And their worldly experience is that they got in school it's almost is useless. helping is helping no it's helping them a bit but so I picture somebody who didn't get that post secondary education didn't get that wisdom passed down through a, a, a post secondary school and they're applying for a job they'd be even further behind so you're speaking from somebody who has some worldly experience and you stack college on top of that and you are super marketable right so so if you get somebody who didn't get post-secondary schooling and they're not, they don't have the worldly experience yet, they just stand out horribly is not, a, not, not, not even shortlisted in, in the interview. Hard to get their first job. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's move on to point number three of, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Are you not asking me how I did on this one? Okay, <laughs> Trevor, before we uh, move on. Did you pursue higher education without a plan? I did. So I mentioned <laughs> I did, but it worked out. So I'm over two. So I, I went into materials management and that was my goal. I started, I actually got a job in materials management. So it did work out and another opportunity to present itself. And I chased that needing more education, but it was paid for by my employer. So I, I did go with a plan 
And I did kind of like what I was doing, the materials management, but the accounting, it, it turned out to be a better path. So I, I did so I did pass this one. I, I, I'm actually with Trevor on this one though. Like I think going in without a plan just is is a better option because you have to keep your mind open. You have to go in with a generalization of what you want to do and where you want to be, but do not be specific because that's where your money will be wasted. If you're married to an outcome, it, it, it is your enemy. You gotta, you've got to let life lead you. So Trevor's past uh, point number two here. So he's one for one. Point number three in the third mistake most 20-something-year-olds make is giving up the student life too fast. And I am super, before I let anyone talk, I am super passionate about this point. I mean, any, anyone else listening to this knows kind of the... the the stu- we call it like kind of the student the deprived student lifestyle is just kind of they joke mr noodles and uh and and that's about it but it's not quite to that extreme the student life has a lot i think a lot to offer and, and a lot of i guess fundamental ways of living that are are again frugal in in in, in their nature well here's the problem if you give up the student life meaning you you're living the i'm doing air quotes adult life and you have adult accommodations and you, you, you've raised the bar of what you, your standard of living is, there's no going back. You can't, you can't regress. And you can't regress for a couple of reasons. One is you, you may be your pride, meaning the people are going to say, well, what happened to you, right? You were a big deal yesterday and now you're not. Like that, that, so that's hard to swallow. And then your own personal self, you, you, you end up with a standard of, you know, this is, I, for instance, I have central air in my house. Nothing, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ah. No. So I have central air. And not having central air is would be a hard adjustment in our can be quite humid Ontario climate here. So there's an example. And so this is one I haven't fallen. I, I owned a new car once in my life. Just That's going to be one I failed on. But uh, that first used car... It was hard to get excited about that. I mean, that car really sucked. <laughs> I, 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 I spent a lot of money to be really unhappy So, in that used car. So, again, getting a new car right away and then going to a used car. So that's, that's kind of giving up the student life. Is if, you can, if you did it for four years of post-secondary living that student life, why not do it for another three or four years and amass some savings, right? That set yourself up. I'm personally going to disagree hard with number three. I have no love of like what she said in here. Um, personally, I don't. I don't believe that that student life is all that. Because personally, what you can do is you can live similar to student life, but instead of being cheap, you're frugal. So in in this little this blurb that. Uh, she explains it's like eating mac and cheese and keeping odd hours that's not healthy (laughs) first of all like that's that's the main thing I want to point out like living that lifestyle is not healthy but you can live that same lifestyle but by just being frugal so instead of buying the most expensive types of food yes you can get cheaper food but you can also make it in big batches and you can prep lunches for a few days and you can do different styles of living but without living that cheap student life i'm going to disagree with jason <laughs> no the difference here is is you're embracing it rather than rather than 
begrudging it. Yeah. Begrudging it or or doing it be unwillingly because someone told you it was a good idea. You embraced it. And that's the difference. And I think if you're going to succeed at this one, you have to embrace it. But I think it's I think it's bigger than what you guys are focusing on here. <laughs> so we're I wrong too? too? No, I, I think you're right. I think you're Always right. Always dumb. But you're you're too busy looking at the Lola thing here. I think the big thing is student life is fairly simple, right? Like it's uh, there's not there's not too many complexities about it, and I think the more things you add to it, and that's what I'd call adult life in my mind, is you add all these things. Like think when you start as a kid, right? You got like you don't have to worry about bills, you don't have to worry about food. And then you go off to university, also you got to worry about like some bills, some food, but like it's at a very simple level, right? And then as an adult or whatever, you got car payments, you got like. Like you got to worry about furniture all of a sudden and stuff like all these other things. It's like, like you got, you got to worry about like, um, like the latest and greatest iPhone. I don't know. So like there's all these extra things you have to worry about. Right. So I think it's keeping it at a simple level. And that's where I think, cause then you start getting into things when you start say having a family where you actually have complexities. And if you can keep that simple life, it's one less complex. But thing. again, see, you're wrong too. But again, all of this. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 wait. You are embracing it. What if somebody was told you you had to live on this amount of money and you didn't want to? I have one sentence for you. Thrift everything. Wait, 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 wait. wait. So, so you're basically saying, like, we agree with this point. Yeah. I think, I think we all agree with this idea. But, but you're, but, but we're looking at it from different angles here. You're embracing like, it. So, so, so you're saying that there's, I guess, like, there's people out there who just who are driving sixty five thousand dollar pickup trucks, making sixty five thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And I, th- I think too, I think societal norms and standards are also a culprit of us moving from the student life to... Whoa, whoa, let's not jump to point number... <laughs> let's not jump to point number seven too fast here. <laughs> or we can. So I, I just want to say I did pass this one because my wife will contest that we borrowed a floral, orange floral couch and chair from my grandmother's basement and lived on that for like three years and we had makeshift furniture from the thrift shops and and we we had matching nothing i mean you there wasn't two matching utensils in that drawer into our cups and saucers so we we did this one and i'm glad we did because again you didn't fall victim to oh I think there's this this just stigma that when you when you graduate you're you're all of a sudden an adult and you're making money and you can you can you should live like an adult like well, you kind the of, university told you to do that exactly. So I th- I think we all kind of agree on this point and Trevor is uh, two for one as well for uh, not making some money mistakes. Now I wish we could skip number four. Number four and Trevor brought it up is buying new cars and thinking it matters. So Trevor, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but tell us kind of your how much like you cared for your new car so did you think it mattered well that's the problem that's i the bought problem. i bought it because everybody i i hung out with they didn't go to school they got great factory jobs right out of high school and they all bought brand new cars and i mean you sh- you i, I bought one i would have given you half marks <laughs> for this one no i bought one because i thought it mattered and we've okay everyone knows my position on used cars and this one the 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 beauty of this one is you can fail but this this one but if you just fail it once that's okay you can recover it's you fail this every five years or every three years then you are done so half marks yeah so i only failed this once 
And I, I'm going to say, I'm glad I got it in my system because the new car smell doesn't last that long. The first scratch, the first dent brings tears to your eyes. And the car ends up owning you for the first three to five years. And then when it starts to fall apart, it's like, it's just tragic <laughs> to watch unfold. So I can't say, like, not buying a new car, it's more than just the money you're talking about. It's 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 every future car you're going to get is going to be, be compared to that new car. So I... I I failed this, but I only failed it once. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a half mark on this. So three and a half to one. So the fifth point here, fifth of, fifth of 10 points is, and this is the, so the fifth money mistake is voluntarily diving into debt. So I think at first glance, this is, I mean, why, why would you voluntarily dive into debt? So voluntarily means you, I think in my mind, this is you doing it unconsciously. You're acquiring debt without a plan. So, for instance, when you buy a house or get a, buy a car, you go to the bank, you get a loan, and that loan has a term. You know, a car loan might be three years. So, at the end of three years, you're going you're gonna to be out of debt for that particular purchase. So, voluntary debt really has no beginning and no ending. It's just continuous debt. It's like credit card debt. Cause well, I, I, I know I see it a lot with, um, like I have some friends who they like just consumer debt where like, okay, I don't have quite enough on my paycheck this week. So they, they throw a bit on the credit card, throw a bit on the credit card. Before you know it, a little bit adds up to like a thousand dollars. And like, that's a lot of money all of a sudden you need to pay off. And, and this is basically living a life that you can't really afford. And this is again, not embracing the student lifestyle. You, you jump, inflating your life too fast, too soon. I feel like a good part of it too is people don't really realize what interest rates are. Um, so they'll get a $1,000 credit card, they'll put $500 on it, and they don't realize that if they don't pay that down immediately, that ends up being another $500 after a while because you just let those interest rates accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, and then you've ended up paying off double, triple, maybe four times the amount that you originally had to quote-unquote borrow. And that's where a predefined loan where there's a start and a finish keeps you out of that, that danger you just described. Just looking at this article, reading this one line, uh, I find this kind of interesting is, uh, and this is almost like the minimalists always said, and this is like, uh, gets you into like a, like just a bad cycle is when you're young and you think debt is a temporary hurdle, something you will overcome when you get that next raise or, or next bonus. Yeah, it, this is, you know, where we said your 30s become com complex, right? In your your 40s, you're overwhelmed. This is exactly where you think you're going to be able to recover from this. But but your life, you, once you get on this track, it, it only goes one way. It keeps going up and up and up. There, there's no peaks and valleys to this. It's a steady incline. You know, I think I'd give this one, um, like, you know, we're giving each one like a point. Like if you, like, I think this is worth like two points. Like, like either if you can stay out of debt, you know, plus two points. But if, if you, if you fall victim to it, like minus two points, like you're, it's, it's a serious, I think it's bigger than the other no, ones. I agree. And, and like, the reason it is, is because it can be repeated over and over yeah. and over. Whereas these other ones are kind of one-off mistakes where, you know, once you, I guess they're not, you know, if you don't contribute to your retirement right away, if you keep deferring it and deferring it, deferring it, it, but it's a mistake. I, I think, like you said, you know, you didn't start till you were thirty, right? Yeah. So, like, you're out of your twenties, so you, you could take that one away. That's fine. But like, like, if if you're 
picking up debt just to keep a lifestyle up. That's like you said, you're, you're not going to get rid of that lifestyle. So I think that's a, that's a really tough one. Like I, that's a, so this is a mistake a I did one. not make. That's good. Cause that would put you down two points. So mistake number six that most 20 year olds make is not killing student loans. So I can say I never had student loans. My parents funded all my education. So I, I, I can't, I can't speak to the burden that they would carry, but starting out life in a negative net worth is, is gotta be demoralizing. Like you, if you start out with 60, $70,000 worth of student loans to start your, your, your working life as an adult, I can see where these things get put to the back burner. I mean, this is an, I didn't do this, but I can see how you can be a victim of well, this. Well, the scary thing that would be is, is um, if you go back to point number five, is uh, voluntary diving to debt. Well, I mean, you're already in debt, so what's a little bit more yeah. debt, right? That's, like that's that, it, it is. It's 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 a very tough situation, and it just kind of is a a, a tough start, a slippery stuff. slope. But if you already have debt, what's what's a little bit more? So yeah. that's all the more reason. But to- you know what? You know what? Let's jump back to point number um, uh, two. I think it was um, about um, having a plan, right? So if you got a plan, right? Like in theory, um, there's scholarships, there's OSAP. There's, there's all kinds of things that are going to set you up well for your uh, education. Well, and here's, here's, the, here's one of the problems you get into is if you go to school, you rack up the student debt, but you don't actually graduate and get that good paying job to help extinguish that debt, that, that's a real travesty. You know, that, 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 that's a horrible scenario. That that a lot of times might be the reason these student loans hang around for years and years and years is is you don't end up with the means to pay these loans off. So let's move on to point number seven. Point number seven, we kind of touched on it earlier, was uh, keeping up with the Joneses. So this is seven mistake that most twenty year olds make. Yeah. So keeping up with the Joneses is really a lot. It has a lot to do with a lack of confidence. If you're unsure of yourself, whether you're maybe you're having trouble assessing what success is what is what how you define yourself as successful is this is what motivates a lot of people to keep up with the joneses is that not knowing what success looks like to them and i think on top of that maybe not knowing alternative ways of of being or of living we, we we can easily see examples in the media and in our favorite tv shows of what living keeping up with the Joneses really is, but when it comes to living a frugal lifestyle, I mean. So if like, I think this ties into um, point number three, giving up student life too fast, is that if um, like, if like it's that whole thing, like you guys said, if, if you, if you can put away, set aside your pride or whatever, or like, you know, and you can keep no, enjoying I, see, the student life and embrace it. I disagree. I think then you can keep, you're not keeping up with the Joneses. Th- this like, is something above and beyond giving up the student life. This is something that at a whole other level, this is, this is you doing things and you don't even know why you're doing them. Like this is you owning that car and not even know why, or owning those fancy clothes and not even liking them. Like this is, I want to, I want to hit on that because that specifically is society these days. As we were saying before, like in your generation, there wasn't as much TV, internet, movies, music. Like, let's say your favorite musician drives a certain kind of car and one of your favorite TV show characters drives the same one. How inclined are you now to subconsciously want to go out and purchase that car? 
it it's multi mass marketing to all of the younger people of this generation and people who are susceptible to that that mentality and it, it's created this this break where kids are growing up thinking that they have to embody their superstars so it's it's an artificial new normal exactly and i i but i think it goes back to you're 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 buying things acquiring things spending money on things and you don't even know what's motivating you to do it that is keeping up with the joneses when you can't even put your finger on why do i have this iphone the latest iphone <laughs> so i have an iphone because i i love the way it works i have the iphone x because i like something to recognize my face <laughs> you know i i couldn't say why like the, this old iPhone still has great battery life. It still makes phone calls. It still does whatever it's supposed to do. But I have the latest one because, and I can't finish that sentence. That's me keep, keeping it's up with the Joneses. Because Tom Cruise owns it, or because you know Angelina Jolie went out and purchased it, and you saw it on TV or radio, or maybe just because it's shiny, or because it's, it's shiny. Yeah, it's got features that I've never heard of and I'll never use. But wow, can it ever do it? That's exciting. Yeah, that's true because if. There's a good reason you're getting something like something broke or like whatever. There's usually you can put a reason behind it. That's a that's a good point. Is if you can't put a reason behind it, you you might be trying to keep up with people. Well, and when you're society. acquiring things beyond their function, so everything you own has a functional utility. It serves a purpose in your life. When you own things that exceed the required functional utility that you need in your life, you may be victim to trying to keep up with the Joneses. So I really do think it comes back to, like you were saying at, to begin this point, confidence, being confident. And I apologize to anybody with the last name Jones. <laughs> we're trying to keep up to you guys. Wait, what if the what if the Joneses were actually the most frugal, financially responsible people? Ooh, that's a good point. Because then everyone would be trying to keep up with the Joneses and how frugal they Maybe are. Maybe we want to keep up with the Joneses. What if that was the way this thing started? Wrong. Historically speaking, the Joneses are bad people. So, <laughs> all right, let's move on. To f- and, and I just want to say, someone who's been through their twenties did not fall victim to this at all. But you bought a car. Yeah, well, you can't count the new car plus keep you can't count that one twice. Uh, all tied I together. bought it because it mattered. <laughs> Wait, was it tempting though? Was it tempting to keep up with your friends? Or what, did- what was your reason for getting a car? Wait, what was your Be- reason for not keeping up with the Joneses? Okay, okay but you can't count the car and keep up. Because I bought the car because all my friends had cars. None of them with the name of Jones, but... <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. So but, that sounds like keeping up with the Joneses. But, that is keeping up with the but Joneses. But I also sat on an orange floral couch, and none of my friends did. And and I will defend Trevor. He thrifted most of his furniture. And being a person like myself who has been raised going from thrift store to thrift store, you can't be that person and keep up with the Joneses. It is very, very two separate mentalities. When you say defend Trevor, do you mean we've been picking on him this whole episode? No. I will take any defense I can get. All right. So moving on to point number eight. So this is the eighth money mistake most 20-something-year-olds make. And this point is not even directly related to how we actually use our money. This point is is actually about the people in our life. This point is staying in dead end relationships. And so this might sound like, uh, you know, life partner relationships, but I'm saying the, I'm going to, that, that's for sure. You want to stay out of uh, bad dead end life partner type relationships. But think of the, your, your circle, your social circles. If there are people doing things 
like going out to the bars every night and you don't enjoy that, but you're going, you're going along with it out of habit. You know, you're just, you've always hung with these people and that's what they do. So therefore that's what you do to me. That is a dead end relationship. One way to measure this and everyone in your life, you should be, you should see the value you're adding to the people's lives in your social circle and you should be able to see the value they're adding to your life. These are, these are, it should be obvious things. Like one, they, everyone in your circle, it should add some value to your life. And I'm not saying be, be um, selfish and, and only take, 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 take from your, your social circles. You have to give back. But if you're in a social circle where you can't give back, you know, they don't want anything from you, then maybe you're in the wrong social circle. But you have to be able to give and take equally. I want to say that this point is probably the hardest point that most people in their 20s to 30s will face in their entire life because this point makes you have to wake up and be like who do i want to be as a person because the people that you hang out with directly affect who you are and and that will change over the course of you know five ten years but those people that you keep around are the people who define you as a person and so if you have these people who are going out and dropping hundreds of dollars every night at bars or movies or restaurants you eventually whether you think you will or not you will pick up those habits i've been there and i've done that and it's not fun to cut those people out i i agree with you and the longer you keep them the harder it gets i remember when i met my wife all my friends said that trevor's changed and they didn't like the what i changed into and i realized when i met my wife that i didn't like what those people were about i didn't like what they represented and so a lot of sometimes it's, it, it'll be somebody coming into your life that's gonna wake you up to who you were or who you want to be and to your point if you do it long enough you become that the 20s are very formative years looking back i mean when you're in your 20s you'll think that your childhood are formative years but the 20s are very formative of who you're going to be so the ninth and and second last mistake that we make in our 20s wait trevor number eight Weigh in on this. Well, no, my wife saved me from that. So I, I did not fall victim to that. I, 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 flipped, I flipped the switch and, I, and I, I saw who I was going to become and didn't like that. So point number nine is the second last mistake that we make in our 20s is insisting on big city living you can't afford. So this point kind of goes, circles back to how we were talk, talking about uh, high real estate prices and high cost of living. And I want, I'm want i going to throw Toronto and pick on Toronto because, I mean, the cost of living is, is high. There, there's other cities in Canada that are as well. But has, has, has Toronto ever always been, or have, have the cities that are expensive to live in today always been that expensive? Yeah, Tor- Toronto is a good example. It's always been probably the most expensive place to live in Canada, either Toronto or Vancouver. And... I'm going to say, if you're living in the city of Toronto, it, it, it better be for a really good reason. You know, if you're going to experience the high cost of living there, it, it, I hope the reason is, is very meaningful in your life. It's either you don't have to make a lot of money, but maybe it's work you really enjoy, and that's the only place it can be done. And you're, it's your passion. and You might just be breaking even between what you earn and what you spend living there but this is the only place you can do it, then yeah, you should live in, in, in downtown Toronto. If you are making a lot of money and, and earning significantly more money than you, than you spend living in downtown Toronto, then that's probably working for you too. 
But don't live there with bad math, you know, meaning it costs as much to live there or more than you earn and say, poor me. I I can't get behind that at all. Well, there's always like moving outside the city too. And, you know, taking the train or taking the bus into work, you know, finding that cheaper apartment and like not as great of neighborhood will probably save you more than what transport would cost to get to work every day. You can force the math to work and move to accommodations that you don't necessarily like. And so, so if you, at the end of the day, you have to be happy with that, that trade-off, that concession, yeah. right? And some people that doesn't work. The commuting one, I'm not, I can't get behind that because you're going to wear out cars or spend hours on public transit to get to work. The time in your life is worth something and you're probably not you know, giving the choice to spend it on a bus or a train. If you had to make, if, if you got to choose between doing that or not doing that, you'd probably choose not. Yeah, and unless that job that you're busing or traveling to is a career that's going to last you for the rest of your life and has a pension, then you know what, that's worth doing. And the only, so I would, I would live with bad math in, in a very expensive city if I had a hope in front of me, meaning I had opportunities, potential opportunities in front of me that if I stick this out, the math is going to work out. But I'm not going to do it. It has. I, there has to be some level of certainty that the, that this is not going to be forever. You know, there there has to be some sort of opportunities that are going to increase your income to compensate you for the high expense area you live in. So, Trevor, I know, I know that you personally. Uh, so everyone who's listening to this knows I designed a life. Yes. Where I was in the city, and had twins. And realized, you know, my wife going back to work did not make mathematical sense. One income in the city, the math didn't work. So what did I do? I created a life in a low cost area that where the math did work. So I, I designed the life that mathematically and also I, I wanted to be somewhere other than the city. I liked the idea of a small town. I designed that life and found it. So the 10th and final money mistake we make in our 20s is never learning to budget so i know i know we throw around we're personal finance but podcast we throw around the word budget so much and i feel like i don't know trevor is it for you when you were 20 was this a concept i mean everyone's like oh you should budget like i feel like it's something people just kind of throw out as a smart personal finance uh thing you should take on well budgeting is really it sounds restrictive, but it's really, it's about giving... I think it's about adding knowledge, like, to um, uh, what you're spending. Because, like, like, I think it's just about knowing how much you're spending and if those those limit, like, the amount you are spending is within reason and if it'll make financial sense. Well, and you're right. So there's some things, like, if, if you're driving a $65,000 truck and, and making whatever payments that would be and you make $65,000 a year, there's something that... If you had a documented budget, you'd say, wow, this doesn't make sense, right? So that's an example. But it'll also outline, you know, we talked about living in, in an expensive city with bad math. Well, you won't know it's bad math unless you have a documented budget. So it's 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 number 10, but it really should be number one. I, I think the, the best part of number 10 is that this is geared towards 20-something-year-olds. And 20-something-year-olds 
are living their life and not wanting to have restrictions. They're not wanting to be restricted. That's why they left home. That's why they went to school. That's why they're in the city paying for an apartment they can't afford. But what they can do and and what they can learn from a budget is don't try and restrict yourself right away. What you do is you take your budget, you look at it over the course of a month, maybe two months, and you understand where your money is going. Eventually, you're going to realize that you don't want the money going to those places. You're going to see that, whoa, if I don't buy a coffee every day, I can afford to go on this trip or I can afford to set some money aside or I can afford my rent. You know, it's it's if they look at it from the point of, man, this budget's going to suck. I'm going to have to restrict myself. They're not going to like it and they're not going to stick with it. See, I agree with you when you say most people look at it as restrictive, but a budget is anything but a budget is something is a tool that says, I like buying coffees in the morning at my favorite expensive coffee store for eight bucks. So the budget would, would you could look at it and say, how can I get, you know, f- adjust all my spending so I can spend $65 a week on coffee? How can I create that life where coffee is the most expensive thing in my budget? So it's a tool to allow you to do, to indulge on the things you like and enjoy. And I think that's the thing that has to be explained the most to these 20-something to 30-something year olds because they're never going to see it that way. They're going to hear budget and they're going to run for the hills. They're going to be like, well, I don't want to budget, you know. And I'm going to say, I failed on this one, but I passed. How can that be? Go ahead, ask. How can that be? My wife (laughs) came to the rescue. She is the bookkeeper of the family. And I, I had a very rudimentary budget prior to meeting her. I, I sort of had a, a general understanding, but I thought I was budgeting until I met my wife. And then I learned what budgeting was all about. So I had, so if you, if this isn't your strong, if this isn't your skill, this isn't your strong suit, maybe find somebody, it could be a close friend or somebody who you know what is their strength, and they can help you. I was going to say, before, before you even start um, budgeting, start tracking your expenses. Like, well, like uh, before you set constraints around it and figure out how many coffees, $8 coffees you can afford, just figure out how much you're spending. And I think Jace mentioned if that. If it's not your strong suit, tune in every week to Simple Money Solutions. <laughs> no, but we talk about budgets all the time and how to design one. It, it, like Mike says, it starts with tracking your expenses. And once you have some history built up, three to six months, you can start figuring out how much, you know, like Jay said, do you like where it's going? If you don't, then you can make changes. And, and it kind of, over the course of 12 months, you can have a pretty dialed in budget. Yeah, I, is, I think it's really just hitting that point of realization. Like a lot of people don't see the money coming in and out, especially with debit and credit cards being so prominent these days. People don't use cash. They don't feel that money actually leaving their hands and going to the till and getting that change back and being like, wow, I only have two bucks left, like after giving them a 20, they don't see that. It's tap and walk away. Yeah, that lack of transaction friction is... It's so easy to spend your money these days that you don't look at it going to and from. But cash is... By the time you guys have kids, cash will not even exist. I really hope not. I love cash. (laughs) So your generation has to figure out how to manage plastic. Basically, yeah. Going, saying I don't like cash and, and, and pushing back against the system, it's it's a losing game. 
you you have to you know every time you tap you have to feel that transaction friction that's why i think budgets are more important now than ever like that's why i think if say you didn't do a budget when you're in your 20s it might have been okay whereas i think now mission it's actually critical. yeah mission critical I, I think a good part of it too is even just downloading an expense tracking app so as soon as you tap that card you have to go into an app enter it in your phone that i spent this money at this place and then you're going to actually see the result of that the happening. Effect of it. Well, I seen a guy pay for something in a coffee shop this morning with an Apple Watch. Everybody knows it listens to this podcast that I, I, I would never pay the $500 for the Apple Watch. But if someone would give me one as a gift, I would absolutely pay with a watch because it's like it never even happened. I didn't even see the guy pay for it. I just, I just caught it in the corner of my eye that his watch was there. I thought, oh. The Joneses, if you're listening, we're expecting the watch in the mail <laughs> next week. I think this guy did go by the name of Mr. Jones, but I so I, I really do think I to Jason's point too. It comes down to a kind of accountability to to keeping yourself accountable and keeping yourself on on track, whatever that on track is for you. Because I think it's very individual. But to you the know person. what Jay said? He said update your budget right away to see the impact of your spending instead of later like instead of like taking that receipt holding it for later and then adding it if you do it right away it's almost the same as watching that cash leave your it, hand it's actually it hurts more because if you so you have your budget on your smartphone an apple iphone of course <laughs> or an Android. probably the best tool for this job <laughs> and 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 as soon as you finish that so the reason i i'm coming my wife does this we'll go to a grocery store and I'll know if I paid for it, I'll know not to stick the receipt in my pants pockets because as soon as it's sitting in the car, she's going to say, where's the receipt? Because she has it in our budget before we get home and she's giving me the financial impact. You know, did we hit our grocery budget or we, you know, we're under, we're over. And we know the financial impact of every transaction. And I love that because it's it's more, it's the ultimate friction because you, you see the consequence of that spending. Immediately immediately so that brings us to the end of our te- the 10 money mistakes most 20 year olds make and we contrasted against mistakes by the decades because like we said earlier the mis- the mistakes that you make in your 20s and and even the the decisions if they're not mistakes the good decisions and the ugly decisions and the, and the great decisions those all have a domino impact effect on all the other uh, decades in your life. So before we end this show, I'm going to point to you, Trevor. Do you have any final thoughts or takeaways for this? If you're looking for some advice, if you're in your 20s and you're looking for some insight or advice about big major decisions you should make in your life and somebody's offering you something, if somebody's saying, don't do what I did or don't do this, then Rather than seeking out the advice of the person that says you should do this or you should do that, I tend to always, if you think about it, you're learning from somebody else's mistakes when they say don't do what I did. And to me, that is the, the ultimate advice. So that's the very end of our episode 104 on money mistakes we make in our 20s and also throughout the decade. Thank you to Jace, Mike, and Trevor for being with us this week as we take part in our roundtable we look forward to having roundtables again in the future we we hope to have them about once a month uh thank you so much everyone for being here with us this week and we can't wait to have you back next week with another episode until then keep it simple